0: Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond. Today, I have Juan from Human Intelligence. Juan, it's really nice to have you. On. Hey Brad, thanks so much for having me today. Absolutely. I'm really excited for today's discussion. So can you tell me a bit about yourself as well as your company and who you guys are and what you're doing?
1: Yeah, so I'm a Cuban American from the Northeast. I spent a lot of time up there. Went to Europe, Latin America for a good decade or two, and then came down and settled in Miami. I worked at companies like Procter and Gamble, Reebok, Puma, a European company called Decathlon. It's basically ten times bigger than Nike in the sports world. Became a headhunter at Hydrick and Struggles and Corn Ferry as a partner. Ran my own search firm, and then launched Human Intelligence seven years ago. And Human Intelligence is software for smarter collaboration. As COVID came and companies went remote and distributed. Human connection went down. Team performance went down. We solved that problem by surfacing insights on how to collaborate better for distributed workforces at large organizations.
0: I love that. So how's it going for you? It sounds like an exciting venture. And what are you guys like excited about this year?
1: The win behind our sales is... Every company now realizes that team collaboration and team performance and having agile teams is the most important thing to succeed in terms of management philosophy. And our tool is the only tool in the market that does that at scale for tens of thousands of employees. If you think of Grammarly, that that cool app, that software that you get tips on writing, we're exactly that, except we're tips for communicating, collaborating in an email on Gmail suite or Outlook. In a calendar invite where you click on the calendar and it tells you, hey, for this meeting and these 10 people, these are the three things you need to do because otherwise you're going to lose these people. Who to call on and who to be inclusive and belonging for a meeting, who's going to be shy. All the way through Microsoft Teams and Cisco Web, everyone's living this digital communication world and we're right at the center of it. And we've closed clients like Coca-Cola, Southwest Beverages, Bank of the West, Aflac, BASF. And our largest client, Accenture, they're going to roll our tool out over the next 12 months to 700,000 employees.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So awesome, sorry, how did you get into this space? What led you to get here into this spot?
1: So the genesis of the company actually was not for collaboration. Obviously, seven years ago, people weren't thinking about distributed workforces, right? So seven years ago, we had this great scientific instrument, what they call personality tests. Most people know things like DISC and Myers-Briggs and String Finders, Hogan and Caliper. So we found one in the marketplace that was owned by a college professor who had worked on it for 30 years. And actually, it measured more in 10 minutes than any other tool or combination of tools in one hour. So it measures three things, the behaviors of a person, the motivators or the values that drive behaviors, and the work styles. So we, in a cheeky way, call it the BMW framework, behaviors, motivators, and work styles. And so we took that and we use it for hiring when we used to solve the problem seven years ago of using data from your existing employees, understanding the psychometrics of who succeeds and who doesn't, to then hire better and getting rid of the subjectivity and the, by using data, psychometric data for hiring, we called it talent fit for recruiting. We would reduce turnover by 40%. percent we signed massive companies and call centers and manufacturing like Ashley Furniture with 20,000 employees, but then COVID came. And when COVID came, we lost all revenue and we didn't know when it would come back. So we had to pivot and take that same psychometric tool and say, what can we use it now for to solve what problem? And that problem was collaboration and for diverse workforces.
0: I love that. Can you explain that problem a bit more as well as your solution and how you guys are solving it?
1: Sure. So there's different statistics out there, but email miscommunication is about 30%. So people sending an email to someone and pissing them off or getting them upset or not understanding and having to go back and forth. That's 30% of emails. That's about 17 hours per worker per month from all the latest statistics. So imagine the productivity loss when somebody writes to somebody in an email and it's a proposal and they say, can I have your feedback by Friday? Maybe that person doesn't like authoritarian attitude and that kind of directive attitude. Our tool would suggest, ask them in the form of the question, when can they get feedback to you? And so in that case, the person won't get offended. They'll say, oh, I can get it to you by this date. In addition, imagine in an email writing to someone that's new to the company, maybe onboarding someone. For them, the tool will show in your email. This person loves clear expectations of their role if you're onboarding them. That's what motivates them. So, that leader who's doing a welcome email and they've never met the person will put a lot of detail in that email about what their deliverables are in the first month. Another example could be if you're going to work with a team on Microsoft Teams and let's say Accenture, one of our clients, is putting together a group of 10 people, they've never met together. They're all Accenture employees, but they come as a consulting project. The success of Accenture is basically how fast can a team get up and run well together and perform and optimize that performance. Our tool allows on Microsoft Teams to share the platform on the screen and see where the team's strengths are, where their weaknesses are. Maybe everybody's really decisive and they actually have to think about how to be more deliberate on making some decisions. Maybe Two people are really data-driven and two people are more influencers who don't use data. Good for them to know if they're going to be paired up to work together. So you can also put teams together and guarantee a diversity of thought when solving problems. This all leads to a more agile leader, a more agile team, and agile organizations. It's the first, what Accenture calls, the first agility platform at scale and the first healthy
0: team toolkit. That's amazing. So one of the things you just told me is that you closed a big account, a Fortune 500 company, got a lot of users that are going to be using it. What are some of the tactics and strategies you've used to grow the company? And what advice do you have for other entrepreneurs out there when it comes to growing a company and getting securing those first big customers and all that stuff?
1: I've had a lot of failures and learnings in these seven years. We only have 20 minutes, so I'll skip the three hours of insights. First, I hired ahead of where we got. So I thought that we were gonna grow consistently. So each time we closed a certain amount of revenue, I'd project a growth rate, and from that I'd hire before we got to that number. I probably would recommend not to hire until you get to that number. Several times I hired and the market, because of COVID crashed, the market now right now is another kind of mini crash. And so I've had to go through these ebbs and flows of hiring people, but then letting them go because the revenues gets hit by external, Get the market gets hit by, or our company gets hit by external factors. So that's one thing, just don't hire ahead of where you're going to go or hire ahead of plan. Two, in sales and marketing, be careful for enterprise software, and every industry is different, but enterprise software I tried every type of lever in marketing. I tried conferences, did not pay back. I tried private one-on-one meetings that a company brings these people to a nice resort, did not get paid back. I tried outbound with email outbounds with long lists of 10, 20, 30,000 people did not work. I tried hiring a really great marketing person who knew how to do demand gen and fill the funnel at the top and drive people to the website and then an SDR to filter them and thought leadership to keep them interested throughout the 12 touch points to the end of the funnel to having a sales account manager, then close them. I'm realizing, and I have realized that for enterprise software, when you're selling $300,000, $1 million deals to C-suite executives, those people aren't doing any of that. Those people aren't going to your website, no matter how great your website your email is. They're not, you're not gonna get to them. For enterprise software, until you get to about $3 million, you better have a board or a CEO who has a network because it is a relationship sale. And so up until 3 million, I highly suggest any enterprise SaaS software CEO or founder do founder-led sales. And if that's not you, good luck. You might wanna hire someone who is really good with that and has a Rolodex. If not, it's a relationship when people pull the trigger on massive size deals. All the clients I mentioned to you just now were through my relationships or somebody from our board.
0: Absolutely. I think that kind of leads into our next topic is that you have over 30,000 followers on LinkedIn. You do a lot of content. You're involved in a lot of stuff I see you active all the time. How does that play into your founder led sales strategy? Does that help with that? Does it amplify it? Is it related at all?
1: We do it and we probably do it at a C or C minus. I think the fact that I have 30,000 people just makes it already a, a D or C minus. And then the fact that I have a wonderful person my marketing team who posts podcasts regularly of me when I do them, make sure they get shared throughout the company and our partners it gets it to a C and then I will comment a little bit on other people's posts that are relevant in our space and write out to groups that are HR related and tech related. I think though, that's like a C at best. We've done a bad job in using all the performance marketing metrics and trying to tie actions of what we've done with the analytics behind when people come to our website. And if we get leads from it, because I've been so disenchanted by that whole lead gen and demand gen funnel, spending energy, time, and money to track it at that granularity when it wasn't really working didn't seem like a good investment. So we do it. We don't know the actual impact it has had, but it is great when I do get a lead of a trusted person at a company through someone I know who then makes an introduction to another senior executive there. That person, when they visit my website, my LinkedIn page, They get credibility, right? When they see this guy went to Harvard, he went to Wharton. He's the CEO of this company. They've won 15 awards in HR tech. I'm constantly listed next to Josh Burson as a top 30 HR tech influencer. Josh Burson, if there was like a God in the world of HR tech knowledge, thought leadership, Josh would be that guy. And it's ironic that his last name starts with almost the same three letters as mine, Burson and Betancourt. So I'm blessed to have a name like that because I'm always listed right next to him. And that gives a lot of credibility.
0: Yeah, I love that. Have there been any other insights with this whole strategy? It sounds like you've been there, tried that, done a lot of this stuff. Any other, oh man, we learned this and it's been gold or any of those key nuggets?
1: Yeah, when you raise capital, don't raise it at a valuation that's too high because the worst thing you can do is a down route and try to always raise it at a five to eight multiple in that first 3 million of revenue. Once you get to 3 million, then you can look at 10 to 15 multiples. Even if the market's saying that average SaaS software and HR tech is about 10 to 14, it's better to under-promise and over-deliver to investors than try to get them in at a higher multiple so you can say the company's valued at X. So that, that's a great le- learning I think another learning, which is a real sad one and frustrating one. So if you're going to do a startup and you need to get people to respond, I thought I got rejected a lot at bars and in college by women. Every guy has the joke like, oh gosh, I have thick skin. I had to date women, of course. For every 10 women, one will say yes. That was nothing compared to the rate of response you get from people at companies when you email them. And I'm not talking you buy a list, outbound list. I'm talking... I would go to a conference, I have some right here, go to a conference, meet all these people, write notes on all the cards, and I have here 30 to 40 cards per day, so 120 in three days, and this is a HR tech conference, right? That you can, for example. And I would take the time to not only put their information into a spreadsheet, I would go to their LinkedIn, invite them on LinkedIn, find their birthday, school they went to, at least two people we know in common, something unique, a group they're on, spend about seven minutes per person, times like 120 people, and every email writing something personal to them in the subject line and the first sentence. So they know that it's not one of these automated outbound programs. For every 30 people that told me at the conference, and they weren't lying, I don't think humanity are all liars, 30 people super excited, think the product's great, write to them on email within four days of the conference, one in 30 might respond. And so that's wow. a real like frustration because what it tells me, people are busy. And maybe at the conference they have time and mental space to hear you, to agree with you and say it's great, but people are busy and worse, people are lazy. And most people at a company, if they're going to take on a project like a new software program, that means more work. If it doesn't exist today, and now something's gonna exist. There's work to make that happen. I think people are just lazy and overwhelmed and it's easier to just never respond than to respond. Because you start to respond and try to move things through. It's like running a startup. I'm creating things in my startup. It's a never ending job. I don't think people who work at big companies wanna create. They just kinda of wanna hide in their office. It's That's probably been the most frustrating thing. Another reason why going to the top through networking and relationships The executives at companies who say, Oh, I like it. I agree. Let's do it. They just send an email down. And then all those people below them who never respond to me then start responding because they're being told to do it from the top. So the whole you really need to know people in high places, I never believed it was that bad. It is that bad.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. I feel like I've gotten the same results and What's worked really well on my end is I'll get someone to agree to like the next meeting or something at the conference or I'll hype or whatever. And I've literally sent people cold calendar invites and say, Hey, I'm throwing a meeting on the calendar from our last discussion to resync on things and now however you feel about that. I don't know. Some people are gonna be like, Wow, that's interesting or that's terrible, but it's that aligns with, I think what you're saying is people take the easy path, the path of least resistance. Like, it's amazing. Some people will see this on their calendar and they'll be like, oh, I'm just going to attend. And it's, it's very ins- surprising, though, to see the lack of response after you go to a conference.
1: Hold outreach. I totally get it. But these are people who, they're like, yes, this is great. Our company would be interested. Let's set up a meeting. Just write to me in a couple of days. And I do.
0: It's like yeah. we talked about meeting, and then you hear nothing. It's yeah, it's
1: crazy. It's crazy. So, of all my frustrations as a startup CEO, and by the way, we're wildly successful now. So I'm not like the disgruntled failure. I'm like I'm one of the one in a hundred companies that actually made it through all these ups and downs, and we're doing great. I'm just being very open and transparent that it has that has been the most frustrating thing to this
0: journey. Yeah. I love that. It's good to talk about the good things, but I love the fact that you're sharing like, Hey, this has been a frustration because I think everyone out there probably experiences it.
1: If you have time, I have another great learning that we went through. Absolutely. So another great thing is about the product and what sells and what doesn't. And this whole concept of if you build something really cool and awesome, they're going to buy it. The The answer as we all know, conceptually is no, but it takes longer to find that out and you have to read between the tea leaves. So here's the example we started actually, we have three phases this company, two pivots. Started out recruiting using the assessment tool, personality test, better recruiting. Got the million dollars, kicking butt. It was awesome. Hockey stick, COVID happens. We lost every customer in two months. No one's hiring. No one's going to use and pay for a recruiting software. And there's no end in sight, right? People are thinking this could be two years so. I had to fire half my company. I had to pay the rest of the people purely in equity. It was not good. So then we thought this great little personality test, if recruiting is not happening, where else can we use it? Oh, we can use it for the whole life cycle of the employee, not just recruiting, but onboarding, team. How does a team aggregate the data for a group of people for all the way up to the division, for divisional culture, all the way up to the culture for a CEO, we called it the CEO culture dashboard, all the way to career mobility, right? All great modules. It would take like now an hour to show our platform. We went from a very niche product to a very platform, huge solution. The problem there was, and we called it, so we went talent fit for recruiting. Second phase was culture management, cast, culture as a service, measure, manage and hire for culture. Sounds beautiful, makes sense. Got meetings, everyone is interested in their culture, We'd show the product, the demo took a while because we had so many modules. People then would say, awesome, love it. And it was a neat product and it still exists, right? And it was a platform, but at the end of the day we were only closing one of five companies that we met with. There's no competition, nobody else does what we do. Why would we only close one of five? We got back to a million dollars so we thought that things were going well. But the reality was one in five, what we learned was many didn't have a budget for something called culture because that's not a budget line item. Why didn't they have a budget line item? Because that's not a problem on their top three problems. Our culture, we need to fix it and look for software. No, they have an applicant tracking system budget. They have an RIS like for payroll budget. They have like mission critical line items for budget. And even though they all five would love our product, only one would buy it. They weren't going to competitors. There were none. And so it took a good year and a half, even though we were being faked. It was like a pump fake by revenue going up as we found some clients that were very visionary. The reality was the market isn't going to buy a product like that as a standalone. And so that's when we did the second pivot to one problem within that suite was the communication tool that a lot of them really liked and were using a lot more in terms of adoption. And so we pivoted to that more niche angle of smarter collaboration, solving a problem, a specific problem for team collaboration for knowledge workers. And we did a lot of research around that problem, and it was really something that was preeminent everywhere versus culture management sounds nice. Everybody talks about it, but it's not a problem. So beware when solving up, when creating products, start with what's the problem it solves. And if you can't articulate it well, don't build that product, no matter how cool it is.
0: Yeah. I love that. So when you pivoted, did you pitch it and then build it when like you started getting traction or did you build it and
1: do it at the same time or... The Smarter Collaboration product or module, we already had it as part of the platform. It was one of five tools. So what we did was you just, they were always decoupled. So you can always buy one or the whole thing or one of it each. So what we did was just change our website, our marketing positioning, and our pitch deck and just focus on that one module so we didn't mm-hmm. have to rebuild anything. We already had it working for Outlook and for Slack. What we then did was invest a lot, in, and when we saw the traction for those two tools and asked clients, where else would you want it? The answer that kept coming up for Fortune 1000 was Microsoft Teams. Everyone in the world at a large company is on Microsoft Teams. And so we then took that whole platform and put everything into Microsoft Teams. So now we piggyback on existing collaboration tools. So we now sell not a platform, we say we sell a plugin. Much easier obstacle to overcome when you're selling a company on a plugin versus a platform. Oh my God, but we're already doing Workday or Oracle. We don't have time for a platform. Oh, a plugin? Oh, you hit a button and now 10,000 people can use it? Oh, that's easy.
0: Yeah, instead of 10,000 meetings on why we should use this or use Workday or whatever, it's, hey, let's make this better with this plugin.
1: Yeah, let's make Workday better. Let's make Slack better. Let's make Microsoft Teams better. Let's get more value out of the big investment we've already made as a CIO. Um, so it also expanded our ability to sell away from just HR into CTOs and CIOs. We also now can sell this collaboration tool as an inclusion and belonging tool for a better performance and inclusion. And so we now can sell to diversity, equity, inclusion. And we're even finding some companies have chief transformation or chief digital officers and can sell to them. So I think finding a broader set of people to sell to also has helped us succeed in this last phase over the last 18 months because selling into HR is not an easy sell. These are not yeah. typically the most innovative, forward-thinking people, right? They're charged with a very serious role of keeping the company from getting sued and dealing with employee issues. That's that, It's a very different perspective than other parts of the company.
0: Absolutely. What's one thing you wish you would have known when you first became a CEO that you know now?
1: It takes a lot of money to launch an enterprise software company. This is not a consumer app, and I think I should have known the difference.
0: Absolutely. And if you could go back in time and give your younger self a piece of advice, what would that be?
1: Nothing. I think my life's been as amazing as it could have been.
0: Love it. And then as we wrap up, what's one piece of advice to your industry as a whole? So all those HR leaders out there, what would you say to them?
1: HR leaders need to really embrace technology for human capital management. Contrary to what they might believe, technology can actually make work more human. Human intelligence, our company, is one example of that, which is a software that's fun and that really does make people more connected, engaged, productive, and happy. And so in the past, technology has seen it have been about only processes. I think now it's getting to the point where it's about people and engagement.
0: Absolutely. Juan, it's been amazing to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for sharing all your wisdom and insights.
1: Thank you, Brad. It's been a real pleasure. Great questions. Absolutely.